Welcome to the Liquid Church Podcast, a place where you can hear the timeless truth of God's Word in a way that's culturally relevant and cutting edge. Today, you're tuning in for our series, Generous Living, where together we discover the joy and freedom that comes from living with an abundance mentality. Let's learn to share with others and honor God. It's our hope this message will help you discover how God's story relates to your own and that you will leave feeling encouraged. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Memorial Day weekend. My name is Kyra, and I'm one of the pastors here. Now, you may be noticing that I sound hoarse. It is spring allergy season in New Jersey. I have a little cold, so I appreciate your prayers for me, church. But I want to welcome you today to the conclusion of our series, Generous Living. We've been talking about how do we cultivate a generous life, a life that is open-handed to God and to others, and a life that God can bless. And the other day, uh, my daughter asked me, Mom, can you give me an example of a contradiction for my English lit class? And so I said to her, you know what? I, I, I actually can. I, I took out a dollar bill and I read to her this phrase that Congress decided to put in all of our U.S. currency. And it says this, in God we trust. And I said to her, honey, that is a contradiction because we say that as a nation, our trust is in God, but our behaviors as a society actually reflect that we put our trust in everything but God. And we specifically put our trust in our money, our resources, and in our own ability to accomplish things by our own strength. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. What would it mean for us to actually put our money where our mouth is and put all of our trust in God the way that our currency says and not in our own resources, in our own strength, or even in our own money. And that's why I want to share a message today that I've titled, Act Your Wage. Everybody say or type it in the chat, Act Your Wage. You know, I've always acted my age, but I haven't always acted my wage. And I think that's true of many of us because we live in a society that teaches us to aspire to acquire. Bigger and better is the American way. Less is definitely not more. If you've got the iPhone 12, it is time to upgrade to the iPhone 13. You've been living in a three-bedroom house. What are you waiting for? Time to upgrade to the four-bedroom house. You've been driving a minivan, but maybe now your kids are older. Time to upgrade to the luxury SUV. It's summertime, people. Let's hit up Hilton Head. But let's put our trip on a new credit card because the one that we have is maxed out. Bigger, better, faster, more. The problem is that living into this mindset leads to all sorts of material and spiritual bondage. In fact, just a little gander through the New Testament will actually reveal Jesus talks more about the topic of money and possessions than he ever talks about heaven and hell combined. Not because he wants your money, but because money is in direct competition with God for access to your heart. Now, I want you to listen to the words of Jesus. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You know, recently I started working out at Orange Theory, 
and I would go every week and I would do these awesome workouts. I'd burn 600 calories every night. But then my husband and I would order Mexican. We would drink Mexican Coke, which if you did not know, that is the elixir of the gods, okay? Uh, we would eat dessert. I would eat all of the fried chips, all you can eat guac. And then the next day, I'd weigh myself on the scale and I'd be bummed that the scale didn't move the way that I wanted it to. It's because my loyalties were split. And I realized I have to choose which master am I going to be serving? Am I gonna prioritize my gut or am I gonna live in gluttony? And that's what Jesus is talking about here. Church, we cannot serve two masters. We can't love money and love God at the same time. Do you know why? Because both money and Jesus are striving for our hearts. Both want the number one spot in our hearts. And do you know where our heart is? Is where our loyalties and our priorities are. Remember Jesus' word. He said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot, cannot serve both God and money. Now, why is it that we wrestle with this so much? I know everybody listening to my voice, you want to love Jesus? You want to prioritize eternal things? But then we go to the mall and we see a cute pair of shoes and our good intentions just fly out the window. Why is that? It's because we are at war with what the Bible calls the spirit of mammon. Now, mammon in Hebrew is money. It means the spirit of greed. It means the spirit of acquisition, of wanting to acquire, of bigger, better, and more. And Jesus is using mammon to describe the spiritual power that actually seeks to overcome our lives. Guys, you got to understand, as American Christians, we are in danger of being influenced more by the spirit of mammon than the spirit of Christ. Now, how do you know if the spirit of mammon rules in your heart? It's when you believe the lie that man-made things, things like money, our stocks, our investments, our own work, even our own luck, are the source of our provision instead of God. We have another word for this phenomenon in our culture. We know that word as greed. I like how Andy Stanley defines the word greed. He says, greed is the assumption, it is all for my consumption. In other words, greed outstrips need because you have the desire to have more things than you actually need because you believe everything is up for grabs. It's why people, quite frankly, use credit cards to sustain lifestyles that are actually unsustainable. It's behavior that's fueled on the premise that anything you make, you should spend as fast as you can. Now, the other side of that belief is fear. You see, there are people who live out of fear that we will lose or that you will lose your money. So instead of actually spending it, they hoard it. They hoard all of the money away and it hinders their ability to be generous with their money. They don't help the poor and they don't give to God because they're afraid of losing it. Now, whether you spend or hoard, the problem is still the same. We trust the spirit of mammon more than the spirit of Christ. 
So here's my question that I want to ask you today. Do you have money or does money have you? Many of you know, uh, I was a lawyer uh, by training. I graduated law school when I was 24 years old. And I remember I started working for a law firm, making good money at the time. My husband was a lawyer too. Back then we didn't have any kids. And I will never forget the first time that I got a Christmas bonus for $10,000. I remember it like it was yesterday. Because you know what I did? I bought myself a plane ticket. I flew to New York City because I was living in Puerto Rico at the time. I went to Fifth Avenue and I bought myself my very first and only Christian Dior purse. It's my best friend with me in the picture. Guys, that thing cost me almost $1,000. I look back at that now and I can't even believe that I spent that much money on a purse. Like, I literally cringe thinking about it. Please don't judge me if you can't relate to this example, okay? But can I tell you, back then, I didn't even bat an eyelash. It wasn't even on my radar. Why? Because the spirit of mammon was alive and well during my 20s. In fact, you can thank 25-year-old Kyra for my shoe collection today, okay? But in all seriousness, I wish I knew back then what I know now. And that's why I want to encourage you today, learn from my mistakes. And this is why today, for the rest of our time together, I want to share with you three biblical principles on how to handle your finances in a way that will break the power of mammon and greed and actually help you trust in God's spirit. To, to put into practice what our dollar bill says, that in God we trust. What would it look like if we could actually live out that truth, if we could believe in God we trust? Well, if you're taking notes, there are three steps to trusting God with your finances. And the first step is to plan your spending. Type it in the chat if you agree. Plan your spending. Guys, when we live according to the spirit of mammon, we are ruled by money. And what that means is that all of our priorities are actually based more on worldly principles than on Jesus's principles. So let me give you an example practically of what that looks like. We spend some money for basics like food and clothes and shelter and one pair of cute shoes per month because last I checked, that is a basic necessity. <laughs> then uh, you save, maybe. You know, I realize some of you ne have never said this word before, but maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, yeah, I got a 401k. I save some, you know, I plan to save a little bit uh, for the future. And then after you spend and you save, you give. Maybe if there's some left over, there's someone in need and you know, you want to help them, or maybe now you know Ukraine's in crisis. Maybe you came to church and you're like, yeah, the sermon was good. I'll give to God. I'll help to other people. But here's what happens when you live this way. Basically, what you're saying is that you give to me first, me second, and God and everyone else in the world third. Now, understand, when you live this way, you're living life like there's mo no more to this life than this life. There's no eternity. You're showing your allegiance is to the spirit of mammon to provide for your needs instead of to the spirit of God. Now, this is how I lived. 
for much of my 20s. I wish it weren't so, but it is. Until I realized if I want to break out of that spirit, I needed to reverse this order. So how do we actually reverse this way of seeing money? The answer is we need to reprioritize. Now, I just want to acknowledge this is very hard or may seem hard at first because most of us have inherited our money problems from our parents, right? Like maybe, I don't know, maybe you grew up in a home where one of your parents spent in secret and accumulated debt that the other parent didn't know. Maybe you come from a family where saving was actually unheard of, like money was like water trickle out as soon as it trickled in. Maybe it was even the opposite of that, and you grew up in a household where money was meant to be hoarded as a way to have control and feel stable and secure. Here's the reality. No matter what kind of family you grew up in, it's your family of origin that gives you the script that you hear in your mind about money. And how we relate to money now as adults often comes from how we were raised instead of from Scripture. But if we truly want to live in financial freedom, then we need to reverse and reprioritize how we see money. Remember, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And that's what happened to me. The spirit of mammon was alive and well during my 20s. I first spent, ah, I spent church, then I saved, maybe, and then I gave, sometimes. But I remember the day it all clicked for me. You see, 12 years ago, my husband and I went to Liquid to the Hyatt Hotel in Morristown, New Jersey, and God caught my heart in a fresh new way. And I realized I wasn't honoring God with my finances and I wasn't living the way that he wanted me to live. I felt a deep conviction that I needed to reprioritize the way that I saw money. My husband and I, we both wanted to be generous. We wanted to support the work here at Liquid. We wanted to begin saving for our retirement. Quite simply, we didn't want to spend money irresponsibly. No more frivolous spending. So we flipped the order and we started doing the opposite of what Americans do. First, we gave, then we saved, and then we spent. In other words, I learned to live on a budget because my husband has always known how to live within one. And I know that that word can cause some of you to twitch like a oh, budget, the dreaded B word, but can I tell you do you know what a budget is? A budget is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. And I want to thank Dave Ramsey for that little nugget, okay? We see this principle of careful planning all throughout Scripture. In fact, in Luke, Jesus said to his disciples, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and you're unable to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Guys, our first biblical principle is to plan your spending. And you can't do that without a budget. Because a budget is what's going to ensure you actually have enough to live on 
before you spend it. A budget helps you keep track of what I earn. In other words, what is my income? What are the revenue streams that come into my bank account? What I owe, which is obviously your debt, you know, how much do you owe in credit cards, loans, mortgages, etc. And finally, where does it all go? How are you spending your money? Are you making sure you're handling your financial priorities of give, save, spend? Remember, a budget is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. So think about it this way. If you don't have a budget, you know you're going to be at the whim of whoever is marketing to you. And you know what that leads to? Impulse buying, which can become a really bad habit. And the only way that you can curb that habit is to, are you guys ready? Nip it in the budget. Why don't you type that in the chat? Nip it in the budget. Because I want you to remember, if you fail to have a plan, you plan to fail. So when you make a budget, understand this is an act of faith. Because what you're doing is you're saying to God, I'm going to live according to the limits that you have set before me. And I'm going to trust that you're going to bless that. And if you want to trust in almighty God over the almighty dollar, then understand your first step is to plan your spending, to make a budget, know where every dollar is going. And then your second step is to save money faithfully. Guys, did you know that on average, most Europeans save 18% of their income? Most Japanese people, they save 25% of their income. Does anybody know how much Americans save? Americans overspend 1% over their income. Understand, this is the aspire to acquire attitude. I got to have it now. It's got to be bigger and it's got to be better, which is why sadly, there's a lot of people that are hitting retirement age with nothing in their savings. I love Proverbs 13 because it gives such, such sage advice. It's so good. It says, whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. Translation, you got to start saving now. You got to say, whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. If you start saving now, you're going to be so far ahead regardless of whether you begin in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, even your 50s, it is never too late to start saving for the future. So don't wait till the end, okay? The good thing about saving is that it actually works on your behalf. Because while you're sleeping, your saving is gathering interest for you. It's working for you. And the guiding principle with saving is the 10-10-80 rule. Okay, you give 10% to God, You put 10% in savings, and then you live off of the 80%. And guess what happens if you're having a hard time with this math? It means you're probably overspending. In fact, that is the check engine light of your financial dashboard that's going to help you keep this in check. Now, if you're sitting here today and you're thinking, man, I'm getting all of this wrong. I'm not even doing half of what you're saying, Pastor Kyra. Don't feel bad. Can I just tell you, can you see it as God's mercy on your life that you would be hearing this message just like I did 12 years ago and gave me the opportunity to correct what I was doing 
so can you too. It is never too late. Because understand, when you reorient yourselves to Christ and you seek him, you put your God, your trust in God as your provider, the power of mammon is taken away and you're given the power to do what is right. So make the sacrifice to save now so that you can enjoy your future later. And guys, not just for you, but for those that you leave behind. Again, Proverbs 13, the book of wisdom in the Bible says, a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. So I'm just going to take my hat off as a pastor. And I just want to talk to the parents. As a parent myself, can I ask, parents, what are you leaving behind for the next generation? Are you going to leave your children with debt? Or are you going to leave them with a legacy? You know, I, I've learned a lot about this from my own parents. Both my parents grew up poor. Actually, they were poor because they were so poor, they couldn't afford the R in poor, okay? They have been incredibly hard workers all of their lives. By God's grace, they went to college. My dad is a pharmacist. He went to seminary. He's been a bivocational leader all his life. My mom is a teacher. They're both retired now, but they worked for years. My dad retired from Eli Lilly after almost 40 years serving there. And they have saved all of their lives. They have used money to serve God in the local church with it. They put money aside for me and for my brother. I went to private school. Then they paid for my college. Then they paid for my law school. And I graduated debt-free. They were motivated to leave a godly legacy more than material things. And can I tell you, that has inspired me today to do the same thing for my kids. My husband and I, we save for our daughter's college fund because I also want her to graduate debt-free. We put money on our son's special needs trust because I want Andy to be well cared for after I'm gone and he's still here. We want to teach our kids how to prioritize God, how to put his people first, how to live a life where we put God first and we trust him rather than in our own money. So do you see how practical this is to, to be free from the spirit of mammon? The Bible tells us, plan your spending, have a budget, assign every dollar before you spend it, save money faithfully, so put away a little for a long time, and the final principle is to act your wage. Again, you gotta type it in the chat, act your wage because this is truly countercultural. because we wage against the machine, people. The majority of Americans are not only living below or even within their means, they're living above their means or wage, because that's the American way. That's what we've been taught, to consume all you have and then borrow even more. And can I tell you, that is a equation for ruin, okay? Proverbs 21 says, in the house of the wise, our stores of choice food and oil, meaning there's reserve, there's extra, there's surplus, but a fool devours all he has. So imagine that instead of living at 100%, some of you actually live at 110%. You spend more than you earn. And so can you imagine intentionally capping all of your spending and instead of living at that 110%, you live at 90. Gives you a, a little margin to save and give. 
or maybe you live at 80%, so you actually can save a little more, or even 70%. Why would I do that? Like if you're sitting here today or you're listening to my voice, why would you do that? Can I tell you? Because if you do this, you will have surplus. You will have margin. And what can you do with that? Well, actually, some pretty cool stuff. Because when you live below your means, it allows you to engage in generous living. Then when someone's in need, you can really help instead of just tipping them. Like if you hear of someone who's in need, maybe a kid can't afford summer camp or someone has a health crisis and needs help. You know, typically we all want to help, right? But we're too strapped to do anything about it. And so we can toss a few coins here and there, but um, we have no surplus. But when you cap your spending and you live below your means, you have margin to help the poor, to help those who are struggling, to be able to show God's love in amazing ways. Well, about a year ago, um, I taught a message here at Liquid on the Beatitudes, uh, and specifically the one that I was teaching on was blessed are those who are persecuted. And I was, gonna, I was preparing a message to talk about the plight of persecuted Christians. And I remember doing my message prep that week and just feeling this conviction of God wanting me to support the work of my brothers and sisters in persecuted countries. I was so convicted, like God just caught up my heart in a fresh new way that I woke up the next day and I told my husband, you know, I really believe God is calling me to support our brothers and sisters with a monthly offering. Would that be okay? Can we do that? Like, honey, I know we live in New Jersey. I know that, you know, Andy has special needs. It requires a lot of care that involves money. But can I tell you, my husband didn't even hesitate. He said, absolutely, sign us up. We signed up to support them. We've been sending them an offering every month that's completely separate from the ties that we return to God at Liquid. And I realized that is the beauty of margin. When you live simply so that you can give more generously. Now, I know that you're thinking, well, that sounds great, but I barely have the money to get through this month. I can't afford to be generous. It's a nice idea, but it's impractical if you knew my reality. Can I challenge you today? Because it's not as impossible as you may think if you only act your wage and you live within your means and actually take time to apply these three biblical steps and put them into action. I promise you the result will be that you can begin the process to be more generous because the reality is generosity is a choice. We can choose to be generous with our money. And do you know what happens when we choose generosity? We defeat the spirit of mammon in our lives and in the next generation that comes after us. So today, to end our time together, I want to take a moment and I just want to ask that you take an inventory of these three biblical practices. I know that some of you here today are struggling with your finances. Jesus is saying, surrender your struggle to me. Take one small step, just one, and ask yourselves, which of these three steps do you need to take first this summer? Do you need to plan your spending? Maybe today after services, some of you need to go home and honestly talk about the state of your finances or maybe even make a budget for the first time. 
The second practice is to save money faithfully. I realize some of you may just need to start saving now and any amount is fine as long as you just start. Or maybe it's the third practice and really it's just to act your wage, to take a moment and reflect, am I living within my means or am I living above it? Because if you're living above, then what steps can you take to cut back on your spending? You know, I had to examine myself on all three of these uh, practices before I preached this message. And do you know what I realized? There are still areas in my life that I can continue to grow on. And I bet you do too. But can I tell you, it is absolutely worth it because the reality is handling our finances biblically leads to greater impact. Understand in God's economy, faithfulness leads to fruitfulness. I'm going to close today with this verse. It is a promise by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who told his followers the following. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? In other words, if you're faithful in small ways, God actually promises to make you fruitful in big ways because that's the heart of your heavenly father. He wants you to trust him to provide for you and everything that you need. He's trusting you to manage his money with integrity. Remember everything that we have, it is a gift from above. The spirit of mammon will whisper, it's all for your consumption. Greed is good. Put everything, especially your spending above everything else. But the spirit of God tells you the opposite. It says, if you want to see my power and you want to feel my presence and you want to see my favor in your life, then we need to surrender it all and put me first. Amen, church? Well, let me invite you to pray. Father, we pray right now for those who are sitting here today feeling convicted that they need to manage and handle their finances differently than the way that they've been doing it so far. I thank you that in your mercy and in your love, you've given them an opportunity today to take away some practical steps of where they should start. So Lord, I pray that you would give them wisdom, uh, even integrity to face the reality of where they find themselves today, but also the ability to put into action some of what they've heard today in order for them to honor you, but most importantly, to trust that you are the God who provides for all of our needs. And you want us to put our trust in you. And for that, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for this act of faith. Uh, we entrust it to you, our finances. We put it at your feet, Jesus. And we pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you want to check out Liquid Church for a weekend service, small group, outreach, or clean water trip, you can find out more about us online at liquidchurch.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, go ahead and subscribe or share it with your friends. Thanks again for listening.